Hey, everybody. This is uh, thank you for tuning in today um, for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today, we've got Laith Lavada <laughs> with the flippingboss.com. And he's here to share how he's getting 35K spreads on his wholesales, 45K on his flips, all while maintaining work life balance. If this is your first time tuning in, I am Steve Trang, broker and owner of Stunning Homes Realty, founder of the Offer Fast Homes app, the only app you'll need for wholesaling. And I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires. So if you're interested in that, please let's connect on Instagram. If you're excited for today's show, please give me a wave, give me a thumbs up. And as a reminder, I don't charge a dime for this show. I don't make any money doing this. So here's all I ask. This is what it costs for you to listen to this show. If you get value today, please tell a friend. You can share this episode right now. Tag a friend below or tell them your best takeaway from the show later on. That way we can all grow together. And don't forget, uh, this is a live show, so please post your questions, and Leith would be happy to answer them for you. You ready? I'm ready. All right, first question. What got you into real estate? That's a loaded question. I'll try to make it quick, but it <laughs> it goes a long ways back. So, um you know, I grew up with very little uh, in the way of monetary speaking. Um, so for me, it, you know, real estate, I was searching for something that provided a bigger and better and a brighter future. So as I was going through school, um, you know, it, it's kind of made the entrepreneur out of you. A lot of entrepreneurs grow up with, you know, I hate to say very little. Mm -hmm. Because we have a lot, especially in the U.S., even if you don't have anything. Um, give you an example, though. I grew up with houses that had cardboard walls. Um, yeah, the, my uh, folks were on, um, you know, basically welfare. Mm -hmm. And so all of that had an impact on me growing up because I, I was getting one message, you know, work hard, hard days work for hard days income. And I was seeing something different. And so, you know, it just a lot of, um, you know, it's, I don't want to say pride, but you just, you don't feel like everybody else, you know? And so. Being an entrepreneur. Uh, well, actually, yeah, that's true enough. Yeah. You, yeah. you have a different headset altogether. You're always, I, I almost liken it to uh, um, running from the devil because you're always running from some devil, mm -hmm. you know, in your past or in your background where where you're always searching for the next thing, you know, the shiny penny syndrome, you know, or yeah, what's yeah. squirrel, you know, and that comes from, at least for me anyway, and I think for a lot of entrepreneurs is coming from nothing and not wanting to go back there. Right. So that's kind of, you know, you know, you're running from this, this past. And so you have to kind of fight that though, because you'll, you'll keep jumping from thing to thing to thing. I think my dad was uh, an entrepreneur as well. I didn't know him too much after nine, but uh, anyway, so there was a lot in the past that built me to be an entrepreneur, to want more, do more, have more. But I did grow up with a really strong ethical, moral context mm -hmm. um, and a, a Christian background. So, you know, there was a lot of limiting beliefs there. Um, should would one want to chase the dollar, you know? Uh, and so, you know, the get rich quick, thing you know not that I wanted that but a lot of times my family would make fun of those sorts of things you mm. know almost being the black sheep in the family if you will <laughs> a little bit um, and then you know I actually didn't I was just telling you before the show I don't think I told you before but I didn't 
I didn't start out in first grade kindergarten. I started out, actually, I was supposed to be in the fourth grade. My brother had a little bit more reading. I couldn't even write my name. So I actually started out, uh, we both got put back to the third grade. And we were twins, so I left that part out, fraternal twins. So he was actually ready for the fourth grade because he could read. I couldn't. Teacher just sat me in the back and said, draw some pictures. <laughs> um, so that that was a hard start in then going yeah. to school with the secondhand clothes and the you know the poking yeah you know poking at you because of that with you know so a lot of that it really built me who I am but it make you know I read in a psychology book one time it said you know if you grow up poor you always know what poor is like but if you grow up rich you'll never really truly know what it's like to be poor yeah so I think that coming from that background and coming from um and i i have a, a good level of understanding for both worlds so yeah at which point did you decide to jump into real estate well uh yeah let's fast forward so that's the baseline so got into personal training for about nine years learned the sales business one-to-one -one training beat myself to death in front of people sold 20 plus thousand dollars worth of training a month worked to 70 80 hours a week if even if that's possible right mm -hmm. um fell asleep in my car when i got home worked woke up at five went to bed at 10 10 11 12 but fell asleep for an hour before i went into my to my house and then i worked monday through even sunday you know half sundays all saturdays and so just beat myself to death um the girl that i was dating at the time you know uh you know you you, you first date the first love of your life seems to be that, well, at least for me it was anyway, is that that woman who's materialistic. Uh, and I thought she was the love of my wife, but, man, she just – I made some bad decisions trying to support her <laughs> life, you know. Um, so she – I don't want to give her necessarily credit, but she was one of the factors. She's like, you got to go try something else and make some more money. <laughs> and so I, I got – I started a uh, stockbroker, I, I and that was just – to me, that type of sales environment, like timeshares, which I tried some years later, um, I'm a, though I can close hard, I don't want to. I want to close for them, not for me. Mm -hmm. And that environment is not, it's like, it's, it's like car sales, which I never did, but, um, but I became a very good uh, salesperson, a very good negotiator. Uh, but anyway, as she, one of the things that she had suggested is go learn loans. Uh, now, I looked at it and I'm like, okay, whatever, because I had no concept of, you know, some of these guys that you have on the show, 18, 19, they're doing deals already. Mm -hmm. I had no concept of a, you could go get a loan for $250,000 and buy a house at this time. Mm. But I started listening to different reading books and multiple streams of income and zero down and loan books and this and that. And I started thinking, well, you know, you need to go learn financing. So I actually... Uh, a few years later, I actually went and got my loan officer license when they had just started the test in, I believe it was uh, Salt Lake City. It was funny because I read book after book. All the guys in the office said nobody could pass at that time because they just initiated the test, the testing or new testing. And I ended up passing and nobody else passed. And I'd never done a loan ever. I just read a bunch of books. So, and what year was this? Um, and I think that was about in 2000 three or four All right yeah so then you became a loan officer yeah i became a loan officer for a short spell bounced around a few areas then i became an account executive and whether i knew it or not 
um, through a lot of the one-on-one training, which we'll get to in a minute, is the direct response stuff. Whether I knew it or not, I was doing all the same concepts. It was just one-to-one, and it was prospecting Mm -hmm. versus marketing. So getting into the real estate um, happened when when I was an account executive, really started doing loans for loan officers. Oh, boy, that was good. Mm -hmm. That was right before the fallout, though. Yeah. Um, But that was a nine-to-five job with ridiculous income. Um, but then after that, I got my real estate license. I'm like, you know what? It's time to just settle down and, and stick to something here. Yeah. So um, that's what I did. And I stayed in real estate through the thick and thin, and I, I got into doing short sales. Uh, so we're, we're going forward a little bit. But my training is a lot in, well, a real estate broker and real estate agent. And when I was doing short sales, I learned how to market. Um, not one-to-one, but one-to-many. Yep. And I started taking 30, 40 short sales a month. But that was myself. I didn't have a team. Well, I had a team, but they're my support staff. They right. weren't sales staff. And I started bringing people into the office and so on. And I killed myself doing that. I mean, I was putting in long hours, meeting with at least 30 people a week, um, and just you know grinding it out. So you're so. doing short sales. At which point then did you transition to wholesaling or flipping? Well, um, once I started doing short sales, then it was, I got really good at negotiating the deals down mm-hmm. low because uh, they weren't selling. So I had to, I had to show the lender um, that this thing wasn't worth that. It needs repairs. So if you negotiate that down and you're going to sell, then who are you going to sell to, which are investors? So, so I started selling to a, uh, not really a partner, an investor, uh, uh, the short sales, and then we started doing the short sales and putting them back on the market and reselling mm-hmm. them, and, and so that. So, but once I learned that um, marketing, the, the proper marketing strategy, I'm like, well, I can point this thing anywhere, right, and get anybody I want, which leads into building the lifestyle that you want. So you can really build whatever you want. So, but at this point, um, I'm like, okay, I can build anything I want if that's the case let's go, you know, overcome the belief system that there's no deals out there. Mm-hmm. So I almost operated in my own little bubble, if you will. I mean, the real estate wholesaling stuff, all that, it was too good to be true to me because of my background. Yeah. You can't make that much money. You can't do that. How is that even possible? You know, so I just didn't even, I had like these blinders on. I was looking through my own paradigm, mm-hmm. if you will. So a lot of it was just overcoming but once I proved myself this this marketing thing, oh my God, let's well, if that's the case, let's go market for some real profitable stuff. So when did so, you start marketing for for that? I think that was in well, it was about two third two thousand thirteen when I really yeah. started. So you started you know, going after distressed properties. Yeah, distressed okay. properties. Uh-huh. So then, how did you go after those distressed properties? Well, a lot through I did a lot through. Um, Direct mail, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, maybe not so obvious. Um, it's changed nowadays to a little bit more sophisticated, if you will, a different media, mm-hmm. a different platform. or um, So there's all types of ways. But I started doing it through um, yellow letters uh, at first, and that, right. those got a heck of a response, yeah. especially from the people who were late, right? Mm-hmm. I'll buy your home for cash. Give me a call, blah, blah, blah. And so those got a really good response. Even I hired them. At that time, I hired a marketing lady who actually folded the letters and printed them out on a couple printers. Mm-hmm. And I got the cost down from like some of these companies charge on a bulk to like 99 cents to $1.50, depending on the volume. I got it down like 50 cents. Yeah. 
So I ordered the postcards. I ordered the pads. I cut the tops off at Home Depot or uh, Office Max. And then I, and they were the right thickness. Mm -hmm. Bought them through Costco in bulk because you have to run it through the printer. Mm -hmm. And it printed out the variable font on there. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I got those babies down to 50 cents for a, um, for a letter. And I was paying her a salary. So I basically was getting someone free marketing person who was doing my mailing. So it worked right. out really, really well. So that's that's how I started with direct mail. And I did bring um, this book here, yeah. which is the, the Ultimate Sales Letter, right. which was one of the first books that I read by Dan Kennedy, um, where he went into, you know, direct response and sales copy. And I'm like, wait a minute, sales copy? That's what sales copy is? Yeah. It's salesmanship and print? Wait a minute, I yeah. can can and clone myself? Well, that's wow. something definitely we're going to go deeper into in a yeah. little bit. But for sure, Dan Kennedy has been very influential in my business as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so you started doing direct mail and you, you meet with a homeowner, right? And you still kind of have this mindset like, do would people really take yeah. this low of an offer? So talk about your first couple of appointments. What was your first uh, wholesale deal like? Um, you know, uh, that's an interesting question. I hadn't thought about that, but I guess I never really had... Once I proved myself they were there mm -hmm. um, and there was people willing to do it, I never really spent much time on are they going to take a less than valuable offer because I'd done so many short sales right. and negotiated with the bank. And so it was like, uh, you know, coming from the loans, for me, short sales were just a negative loan, a reverse loan, mm -hmm. proving you can't afford it rather than you do. <laughs> And the house was in such disrepair, I'd get inspections done. And, mm -hmm. and so it was all kind of a natural transition. Right. Um, You're justifying there. why the prices were so low. Right. So it was very easy to go in. I mean, I would talk to banks and I mean, when I was doing sales, actually, they would call me the hammer. Um, that was my nickname at uh, first or um, uh, 24 hour fitness back when I was a personal trainer because I mm -hmm. closed so much. Yeah. Um, but I, sometimes I was rough, but not always. I tried to be consultative. Um, but uh, what was your question? And I got, I'll, I'll ramble if you let me. Well, so what I want to hit on right now, because you're in Vegas, which is super competitive, mm -hmm. right? Because it's not an easy market. No. Um, and I've, Well, it's you just know, like yours, I think, right? Only I'm a little smaller. Uh, right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hearing, you know, it's, it's just a little harder to get, uh, to get deals because it's so competitive. But mm -hmm. you're sitting here and you're getting 35K wholesale fees. And yeah. when you flip them, you're making 45, which then for us, we're making 18 and a flip. We're pretty happy. Right. So I want to see, like, why is your, why do you have this success in your super competitive market versus everybody else? Yeah. Well, I think it has a lot to do with my marketing, uh, you know, authority marketing. I yeah. position myself as a, almost a celebrity, if you will. Mm -hmm. I don't consider myself one, but I try to position myself like that in the minds of the prospect, yeah. whether by uh, preceding them um, with content or marketing stuff um, prior to the appointment yeah. or how I market and what I market with. Um, and that sets up a different, unique dynamic mm -hmm. because now I'm like the doctor. Right. You know, prescribe to me what you need. Yeah. Well, um, we have someone in our town, not for wholesaling, but for traditional, <coughs> Russell Shaw, right? The guy's a big deal. Mm -hmm. So when Russell Shaw calls you, it's like, oh, I got to answer this call. I got to talk. Mm, I got to yeah. take this, right? The guy's on TV. He's on radio. I'm getting his freaking newspaper. The guy is a celebrity. So when yeah. he comes and when you work with him, instantly you're impressed. You're odd. Like, yeah, whatever he says is probably it, right? Yeah. It's fact. Mm -hmm. So how are you able to 
get this message across, right? We call it authority marketing, direct response marketing. We're throwing around a lot of terms that aren't necessarily um, well understood. Right. So can you elaborate? Yeah, well, uh, you know, the easiest way to say it is you position yourself in the mind of your prospect like you are a celebrity. Mm -hmm. And the word is self-aggrandizement, right? Nobody's going to claim claim that mountain and put the stake in there for you. Mm -hmm. You have to do it yourself. Yeah. So, um, you know, if you want to be on TV, you go be on TV. You find a way, you know, whether you pay for it or where you get. Nobody's really necessarily going to invite you. <laughs> you know, yeah, especially no a white dude from Idaho. I mean, <laughs> it's not, and nobody's ringing my phone off the hook to say, come on and be on my show. <laughs> so you have to position yourself. It's about positioning. You have to position yourself as an authoritative, credible uh, person, mm-hmm. which you should be. Most people who've been doing business are, right. they just don't realize it and they don't talk like it because they don't believe they are. It's mm-hmm. that self-confidence. Now, I had to overcome a lot of um, lack of self-confidence because I didn't start talking to other kids until the fourth grade. You know, so to be in a group or, I mean, it still makes me a little nervous today. Yeah. You know, I, I, I get the chilly willies, you know, but you just have to do it. But, yeah, position yourself as that credible, authoritative expert. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've got to look the part as well. You so know? what does that mean? Well, I say that um, you can really be authoritative, credible, celebrity with whatever. I guess it depends on who you're targeting. You have to know who your market is. Absolutely. Like a lot of times I'll go on TV because I do a lot of TV marketing Mm -hmm. and I'll be wearing a suit and tie. I wasn't going to wear a tie to this thing today because it's it's much more relaxed. This is even overkill, (laughs) right? I needed your shirt. Um, But... And, that, and that's cool because it's the environment at which you're in, right? Mm-hmm. We all know the scoop. We're, we're grinding it out. We're working on a day-to-day basis. You typically aren't in a suit. But when I go on TV and my folks are 65, 55, whatever plus, and they come from all a myriad of different backgrounds, maybe they're in the military or whatever, mm-hmm. I always get the same comments. Boy, you seem so relaxed and you seem so trustworthy and you're so well put together, and I really like your suit and tie. Now, sometimes I'll also get, I can't stand seeing that guy's hair anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, I'll get weird stuff too, right. and that's okay, and you have to have some thick skin. But generally speaking, I'm, I'm dressing for them, not me, and that's important. You have to do it for them, right. not for you. So, like I'd go up there in my bathrobe if I could, but that doesn't going to send the message that you want it to. Not going to necessarily get you in the room. No, no. So let's talk about that, right? So first step, being of celebrity authority marketing, getting on TV. If someone want to get on TV, what should they do? Well, first of all, it's not for the weak of heart, mm-hmm. right? It's not something you can just go out and do, and roll up and start doing. Yeah. And I don't want to say that to stop people from doing it. But it's something where you probably should have a little bit of a bankroll Mm -hmm. because you're going to have to test a little bit. And with anything that you do, you're going to have. Now, I've lost a lot of money, but thankfully, I've made a lot more money than I've lost. Right. Well, you and and I talked about one of the lessons learned during the election. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) During a political window. Yeah. Uh huh. (laughs) Yeah. So there's different things that can come up. And so you when you roll things out, you should test a little bit Mm -hmm. like with me on the yellow letters. I got a lot bigger response and my lists were smaller, but they were really, really niche. 
so I got a good response so I could get my bankroll up. If I wasn't doing that, then maybe I should be knocking doors. I always say, you know, if you're just starting out, you don't have any any cash, then you should start with prospecting, but build that bankroll so then you can roll it right into marketing. Don't go and buy the new car. Don't go buy the Rolex. Don't go buy the shoes and the fancy whatever Mm -hmm. because that money – 80%, 80%, I try to put 80%, as much money into marketing as possible. Because if you don't, then you don't have consistent income. Then you're like pretty much, and I dare I say, a lot of the realtors out there mm-hmm. where they're going and they're working for a client, they close a deal, and they're like, okay, where's my next deal? Mm-hmm. And they're not doing any marketing. They're doing all prospecting. How are you going to do prospecting when you're working with this client? Now, you can get referrals. But I'm not a big believer in that's going to pay the bills and keep the light bill on. Mm -hmm. You need to go generate some business, and then you'll get the referrals. Like, I just did two referrals from wholesales. One was over a year ago that we did a deal. We just made fifty grand on a wholesale fee. Actually, excuse me, forty nine thousand dollars on a wholesale deal under 30 days. So so you do get the referrals. But I digress. Going back to rolling out the marketing, Mm -hmm. you got to test. And TV is expensive. You know, you can get you can get on shows for free. You can't, but you've got to have you've got to position it right. It's got to be a community message. There's a way to do that. And this book right here, that's why I brought this book. Yeah. The Ultimate Sales Letter. It was the one of the first books I read, if not the first bre- book I read on sales copy and what an actual copywriter is. And I write all of my spots when I go on TV and I script them. If I go on a show that won't use my uh, my questions and my headlines, then I'm probably not going to go on that show. One of the things I always tell them, especially when you're paying for it, mm-hmm. for like an interview appearance or something like yeah. that, because there's a paid for and there's the unpaid for. So there is a difference there. But you got to know how to position it if you're going to get free marketing and you're not going to be on that often. So that's why the paid for stuff works. Mm-hmm. Or your commercials, you know, your one minute or your two minute if you're so, lucky. So let's just say I, I've been wholesaling, you know, I'm doing five, six, seven deals a month. Mm-hmm. And I want to add TV to my marketing channel. Okay. What should I be prepared to start with per month? Well, I mean, you can get on for 800 uh, here. It's like 2,500 bucks. <laughs> so, I mean, and then how long is it going to take you to find a deal? Right. You've got so to do a hundred for how long? Uh, what's that? For how long? For how long? Yeah. You know, I'm a big believer in that the market doesn't pay for itself right away. It's, or the marketing doesn't pay for itself right away, then it's probably not going to work. Because hmm. I've done stuff where I've held out four, five, six months. I've gone in the whole tens of thousands of dollars before I tested it. Uh, and, you know, a lot of these account executives that'll sell you stuff on uh, radio, TV, they are not your advocate. <laughs> no, they are their advocate. And they got. don't really understand. Like, if I was an account executive, I'd like, okay, how's this stuff going to get my client money and I'm going to show them. Let's even write copy for them. Right. Let's get this thing to work. That'd be the smart way to do it. That would be. Yes. So, all right. I should be account executive for TV or radio. So the first thing is TV. Uh-huh. Second step for authority marketing, celebrity marketing. Mm-hmm. Radio. Radio? Radio's good. Um, like, here, let me give you, like, if you want to get started in TV, like, go get on your local interview show, do an interview, and use it in your other marketing. Mm-hmm. So don't necessarily use that marketing to drive leads. Use that marketing to help you precede your appointment. 
because you can send it out as an email, you can send it out as a CD, you could do a, a number of, you put on your website to mm-hmm. build the credibility and authority when the people meet you in person because they don't know how long, long you've been on TV. Right. Right. Now I'm on there a lot, but um, but I've got it to work now. I caution the listeners out there because my buddy tried TV in Salt Lake. Whether it's you, which I don't know if it is him or not. I don't know if it's the market. That's what I mean. It may not work for every market. Like I've mm. I've tried it in a secondary market, and it was like gunshot effect. There wasn't enough people dense enough in that area to make it pay for itself. Mm-hmm. So definitely be ready to test, and um, and you can make it work. And it's the same thing with radio. But like if you did a radio, like I had a radio show for a while when I was doing short sales. I ended that, and I've thought about bringing it back, but uh, it doesn't necessarily make sense. Uh, mm-hmm. The podcast for that sort of thing for a local may make more sense for people. Yeah, And it's a lot less expensive. But if you were going to do it, you could contact your local um am radio talk mm-hmm. show station you could get like a morning show or a late show just say hey when's your cheapest show right and then I have a couple hundred bucks and it's midnight on friday sweet you go in you got a professional so studio you have sound good sound system all that and you do a show that's informational uh, about you know selling your house for cash maybe you only do one spot and then right. you use it and you send it out as a credibility and authority, authoritative marketing. We do what's called a, a shock and awe kit mm-hmm. or package. You can do it virtually through your email or you can do it um, uh, before you go on the appointment or before you talk to the seller. You can precede you. Um, call it pre-canning, pre-cloning yeah. yourself. Well, let's elaborate on that because the reason why I want to have you here is that I want to make sure people understand like getting deals is, is one part of the equation, mm-hmm. but getting these large spreads you can only get it by pre-selling the seller before you even get there. Right. right? So this is authority marketing piece. So we talked about TV, we talked about radio. Now we're talking about the shock and awe kit. Mm-hmm. So elaborate what exactly a shock and awe kit is. And after that, we'll talk about what goes in it. Well, a shock and awe is just like shock and awe. You're shocked and they're in awe, mm-hmm. right? That's what we call a shock and awe kit. And I, I don't know co- who coined the phrase. I learned it from Dan Kennedy. I learned it from Dan Kennedy. You, yeah, you can call it like for a news news a press a press kit a credibility kit i mean mm. it's labeled whatever right. but you're using it for shock and awe or the bomb we also call it the bomb the bomb yeah, yeah. so all it meant to do is you know the law of reciprocity if you give somebody they feel like they got to give you something back so mm. it works on that mentality too but nobody else is showing up like you mm-hmm. so you want to give them that nobody else, something that nobody else gives them the other thing authority marketing is a book you know it's easier than most people think to write a book yeah. you know you can go and and hire a you know a, a ghostwriter a copywriter to interview you put it into a book about you know how to sell your home for top dollar or how to sell it for cash that shows up before you with a cd of testimonials or a sheet of testimonials we've even used a, a simple newsletter that we use through a, a newsletter pro Mm-hmm. But you could use a writer. You could hire a writer on Upwork or something, put together a newsletter every month, interview you, and we send that. As soon as we talk to someone, we send out the newsletter in the mail to them the very day that we talk to them. Mm-hmm. Now, I do a little bit differently than some guys, but the bigger guys, 
um, may not even do this either because they want to do more volume, but I have found that it gets the bigger spreads mm -hmm. and it allows me not to have to go and actually meet with the person in their house or anybody right. else. So it allows me to be very scalable. So that's one thing I should say too. I still get these spreads without sitting down in front of somebody, um, over the phone. I do mm -hmm. it over the phone. So a lot of times we'll do the inspection beforehand. And so we drop whatever it is off before that we'll schedule that out and then and then we'll schedule the appointment to usually talk with me or one one of my inside um, salesperson. Mm -hmm. So they've had to jump through some hoops here. Right. So uh, to get to me, and and they're willing to wait because I'm not clamoring all over them. It's mm -hmm. the I hate to be uh, I keep well I guess I don't hate to but I keep bringing up Dan Kennedy but the welcome guest going from the uh, the annoying pest to the welcome guest, mm -hmm. that's what it allows you to do. They want to talk to you at that point. Well, you're presenting yourself as the surgeon. Yeah. Right? Like everything's been leading up to it. Okay, now now the expert's coming in. Mm -hmm. Right? So uh, in the shock and awe kit, what's in the shock and awe kit? Well, if you wanted to truly do a shock and awe kit, um, you would include maybe something personally for them, mm -hmm. like the whole thing where realtors put their logo and their contact number mm -hmm. and stuff on something, some sort of tchotchke or, you know, calendar or mug or something, um, like a pin. But you right. want to do something nice to where they'll actually use it and hold on to it. Right. Like a calendar. I'm not sure people are sticking those on yeah. their refrigerators anymore. We're using anymore. branded USB sticks for a while. Those are sweet. The other yeah. thing are the uh, cell phone smart phone chargers, chargers. Yep. however people that we buy stuff from may not have a, a smartphone <laughs> or a computer or anything else yeah. but well, a lot of them do but some of them don't but that's kind of a cool uh thing but you got to think of something that's creative like i thought about um i haven't put this one into action uh, so if i see it out there i'll know who where they got it from but a cracker jack box mm -hmm. you know the the red and white i remember the, those yeah yeah so a lot of people in our age range so that might even i'm not a big fan of sending food just because i wouldn't eat food that i received from somebody <laughs> i don't know the mail but i think it would still be nostalgic nostalgic mm -hmm. uh uh and it kind of bring them back good memories Right. So you show them, wow, that's cool. And then you see the testimonials, and then you see a couple newsletters in there. Like when I send out my newsletters, I talk about my origin story and my why, mm -hmm. which is my wife and kids. And so um, I have a story about that. And I'm always surprised when someone says, I got your your story is so awesome. You know, you're a self-made man, and you're from Idaho, too. And and um, it just it set, and they've never even seen me on TV. Right. So you don't have to be on TV to set that same thing up, but you can precede yourself and set up a, con uh, a connection, that rapport or affinity bridge mm -hmm. between you and them, that bridge between you and them that makes you a credible, trustworthy individual before you even get there and pre-sells right. you. That's what the shock and awe kit is meant to do. And you can do that with a lot of different items. Um, like I said, some tchotchke stuff, a, a book, um, a pamphlet. A mm -hmm. consumer guide, you know, you could do just a simple PDF. You could do some testimonials. You could do a CD, and you could make it as nice or not as nice. The better, not, the nicer you make it look. If you send a sixty-dollar kit out to someone who has equity before you talk with them, they're going to be blown away. Right. And if you got, I mean, if you're dealing with somebody else, especially if you're doing both real estate and the wholesaling mm -hmm. stuff, because now nobody else is showing up like that. Right. Most real estate agents don't want to spend a couple dollars, let alone thousands of dollars on a lead. They can't. 
They don't make enough spread, <laughs> right? So that's the nice thing is that that's the other thing that, that I really uh, key in on is the uh, monetary competitive advantage. So uh, Max has a question. Yeah. Max Menes is my business partner. I'm late. I don't know if he said it. What is the lead to deal ratio from TV? The lead to deal ratio? How many leads do you get from TV um, in a month? How many deals do you get from TV in a month? Uh, we probably get around 200, 250 a yeah. month. Um, and then from TV, we've done as high as 10 deals a mm -hmm. month. Yeah. So, I mean, it could be, it just depends on the month. Right. Like we've had a couple months where we didn't do a deal and mm -hmm. I spent 40 grand on TV. But yeah. then the next month I did two or three and we killed it. Right. Off just from TV or yeah. we did 10 the next month. So, or we just, we had people that saw us on TV a year ago. So it's hard to quantify from TV and it's a harder animal to track from TV mm -hmm. because sometimes they go online and submit a form. Sometimes they get a postcard and they see me in both. So I know everybody wants to track their numbers mm -hmm. and you can kill yourself trying to do that and you should. I mean, with, it's easier with direct mail. Right. But when it comes to TV and radio, you can still do it. But for the new folks, I mean, for the advanced folks, they probably already know how to do that. Um, and you can lead them to a website specifically. But if you're doing anything with branding, it makes it really difficult because now if you're trying to brand your name and it's a it's a beast. Yeah. Well, I think the uh, Perry Marshall in his 80-20 marketing book does a really good job explaining like, you know, uh -huh. you want to start with Google pay-per-click because that's like the ultimate direct response. And then you got mailers and then you scale eventually to radio and then TV and then billboards or mm -hmm. vice versa, one of those two, right? And the point is that you can't track necessarily those last couple of pieces. Right. But what you can do is dramatically increase the impact of your Google pay-per-click, of your direct mail, of your radio because now they've seen you from it's all these different marketing, sources. Yeah. Right. You're you're hitting them from land, air, sea. Right. You know, and they're seeing you ever we have a lot of people say, Yeah, I saw you on TV and then I got your postcard. Or I got your postcard and then I saw you on TV. Right. And it's interesting, those ones are really, really good because they've seen you in multiple places. I would hope so. <laughs> Yeah, and because you have the credibility to back up the postcard, and I put a family picture mm -hmm. on there to build some affinity with those folks and this and that. But um, it's like I say, it's hard to track those those other pieces. Yeah. But I would I would caution, and I would say that there's so many shiny pennies out there. You know, get good at one before you roll out another one. Mm -hmm. You know, don't just jump to TV because I'm saying it. Don't just yeah. jump to ringless voicemail because somebody else said it. You have to overlay your own filter on top of this stuff. And you also have to, um, I mean, you have to be cautious because uh, different markets, like Facebook is really hot right now. And there's people pulling deals off mm -hmm. of Facebook. But think about it. How many 55 and 65-year-old plus, and there's more and more, granted, and there are deals there. But I'm just saying, you know, it depends on the marketing or right. the, your target market. Like mm -hmm. there's the three M's, right? The marketing, the media, and the message. Right. All these things work, but you have to really dial them in. And with Facebook, you can really dial them in. With PPC, you Not can really dial anymore. them in. Uh, yeah, they've reeled that back a little bit. Mm -hmm. But there's still ways to do it and be effective at it. But again, when you go to these different – really, people need to understand, I think, that – and I needed to understand – that these are all tools in a toolbox. 
you've got all these marketing modalities. You've got ringless voicemail. You've got calling. You've got uh, direct mail. You've got TV. You've got radio. You've got billboards. All these things. And you don't have to do them all at once to nope. make a good income. And maybe you shouldn't do one of them at all because your, your market is not there. Mm-hmm. So where's your market? What are they using? Where are they at? Are they in the newspaper still? Where are they? And so, and it might be different for every area too. So market, market, media, and message. Right. Work on the media uh, for your market or uh, work on the message for your market and the media you're going on too. What, what are you going to be, what do you, what's the message you're going to send out? Right. Um, so we talked about direct response marketing and passing, but why don't you explain to the audience what exactly direct response marketing is? You just send out a message and you get a direct response to it. I know it really, sounds really simple, right? But why is it effective? It's effective because it's not brand marketing. Right. You're not marketing yourself as, oh, look at me. Like most realtors make this mistake. They put their big picture. It's the biggest thing on there and they're all dressed nice and mm-hmm. fancy. And I think it works good for the really good looking ladies um, <laughs> because – you know, it does, uh, you know, they end up selling the luxury homes and this and that. Now, right. I'm always going to work that way. So I'm right. kind of joking, but, but that type of, that's me marketing versus marketing for the client right. or the customer. And so you always want to be focused in on them. Where is their head out? You mm-hmm. got to be laser focused on, you got to get into their head. Like a, a lot of these, Robert Colliers is a uh, he was a copywriter from mm-hmm. way back when, uh, I believe it was um, late uh, 1800s. And s- the same stuff he was talking about then is still effective today. Yeah. And one of the things he said is you got to meet the people in the minds where they're at. You got to mm-hmm. get into their heads and you got to talk to them and their fears and what they're experiencing. And if you do that, then it's going to drag them out of all the clutter of all the messages that are around them. Yeah, you got to enter the conversation that they're having with themselves. In their own head. Yeah. And so if you think about what are their trials and tribulations, mm-hmm. uh, you know, are they getting a divorce? If they sell the house and it's destroyed, uh, then how are they going to move their stuff? You know, and I should say, it's not all about my marketing, why I get these bigger deals and the authority and credibility and all that. That helps. But it's not all about that. It's about the little idiosyncrasies that go into it. Why I have good success is, for one, I'll close a lot of the deals myself. Mm-hmm. And when it, times get tough, I jump back in and take all the, the, the conversion calls because there's nothing else for me to do except for do marketing and close deals. And I close them all remotely over the phone. But then I give it back to my other person when I'm interested in doing more volume and the, and the deal flow has gone up. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons is because we just really – I got my finger on the pulse of the closing. And I'm just, a, uh, uh, you know, really good at getting in people's heads and explaining things to them in a simple way. So that's one thing. So how did you get there? How do you – how will you teach someone or how can someone learn more about – getting in the prospects, the homeowner's head. Well, I mean, that conversation. it's like this ultimate sales. I keep referring to this mm-hmm. thing because it, there's a lot of checklists that you can ask a lot of questions. Uh, the ultimate sales letter that he lays out here, a lot of questions on how to get in that prospect's head. Mm-hmm. Ask yourself the question, what keeps them awake at night? Somebody's laying in bed and they've got to sell their house or they're, because they're facing a medical condition, what worries do they have, mm-hmm. right? And then when you get on the phone with them, you're compassionate, you're understanding, 
you're willing to listen to what they have to say. Like I'm always telling my inside sales gal, listen to them, peel the onion, get down underneath the layers. If they just say, well, I got to move out of town, don't just take that as surface knowledge. Mm -hmm. You've got to dig deep. You've got to say, well, if you don't mind me asking, what is the reason why you're having to move out of town? Well, I want to move back to my kids. Is that really enough? No. Well, why is it that you want to move back to your kids? I mean, a lot of folks, you know, what's going on? Well, yeah, my, my daughter's having a tough time. She's going through a divorce, and I'm 65, and I don't have any family here, and I just want to get back there before I die. I mean, that's the conversation we mm -hmm. have, right? Right. And if you would have never got to that unless you didn't go past the first one or two questions. Right. And you got to be willing to listen to their story because that's what builds the connection. And so everybody's about, well, dollars, dollars, dollars. People just don't sell because of dollars. Mm -hmm. They sell because who you are and how they feel about you and the relationship you build. Right. If they're talking to one of these national buyers that makes them feel crummy. Mm hmm then they're not going to sell to them. They're going to sell to you because you make them feel good. Mm -hmm. So it's not always about the number. Now, sure, you'll get a lot of people, and it is about the numbers. Yeah. And they're shopping you. You're probably not going to get that deal anyway unless you go over there and you just use every sales tactic you have. You twist their arm, mm -hmm. and you just pull out every little dirty trick you can, which, you know, that's one way of doing it. It is one way of doing it. You know, I, I prefer to get on the phone and say, I'm not going to meet you at your house. I just sent off a pre-inspection. And the reason being is, is I help so many homeowners, I couldn't help everybody that I normally could help if I had to go to every house. I mean, it takes me 30 minutes to get anywhere in this town. Mm -hmm. And 30 minutes to get back, by the time I meet with you, that's a quarter to a third of my day gone. I can't talk to as many people if we do it this way. Right. I like that. Right? I can't help as many people if I'm visiting them in person. Right. So we met through Strategic Coach, mm -hmm. right? Um, and we had, it was funny. I met you, I met Matt Strong, our lender friend in Salt Lake. Yeah. And Todd, Todd Swaggerty, mm -hmm. who I had no idea who he was until the last one. When I was asking whose, whose traveler mug is this? It was that investor fuel. It's like, it's mine. It's like, oh, who are you? It's like, oh, mm -hmm. I'm Todd with yellow letter HQ. It's like, you introduced yourself as the direct response mark, or as the, as the, uh, mailhouse guy. Mm -hmm. So it was just funny. So strategic coach is how we've connected and you're a very big fan. You're very passionate about all these different, you know, high level coaching programs. You want to elaborate mm -hmm. on, on the benefit? Yeah. Well, I love masterminds. In fact, um, if you, if you see my site, really what I offer is high level coaching and mastermind yeah. because I believe that's where the biggest success comes because it was for me. Mm -hmm. Cause a lot of times you're standing in your own way with all these different belief systems you have from your past. And a lot of times you've got to unlearn what you learned. Like when I was a real estate agent, reason why I didn't move forward faster is I had the real estate headset on. Well, you can't do that. It's illegal. That was what was going through my head because they train you one way of thinking, mm -hmm. not the investor way, which is perfectly legal. Right. But as an agent, you got to unlearn those things. So, and the other thing is, is a lot of things like it took me so like I'm a 23 year overnight success, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it took me that long to get it. I'm like a hard learner, right? Cause I want everything perfect. I'm a control freak. You know, and I, I got to have everything lined up and my T's, uh, my I's dotted and my T's crossed. And I got to understand everything before I jump. And that's just the way I am. And I have a strong moral and ethical code that doesn't allow me to actually take action unless I think I can do some or get somebody results or even close on a house. So I have to convince myself that there's a way to do this that this, and not just convince myself, believe and know, mm -hmm. actually know that there's a way that I can close this deal. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, but the other thing is I, I had to know that people were getting results because it's easy to hear, talk is cheap, right? Mm-hmm. It's easy to read a book and think, oh yeah, that's great in theory. There's a lot of things we talk about, but we won't do, mm-hmm. right? So for me, the mastermind is awesome because I went to one uh, way back when, when I was actually already doing wholesales and stuff. And I was mm-hmm. like, you know what? Uh, I'm gonna at some point have a mastermind because this is beautiful. Right. Because it allows you to step out of your way. See, it's like this podcast. See other guys. But even the podcast, just listening is not like standing in front of somebody. And this dude is saying, look at my spreadsheet, man. Mm-hmm. I'm doing this amount of business. This is my stuff. And you're ta- and you, the believability, like if they can do it, then I could do it. Absolutely. And so the mastermind is like, it's like a gold mine of all these people, these high level people that are there who are doing it. Mm-hmm. And they're doing it this way and they're doing it that way. And you take a piece of this and they had problems with this and you're having problems with, they already solved the problem. Go find someone who have actually solved the problems. Like Dan Sullivan talks about find a better who, right? You know, but find the people that are going to, they say you're like the five people we hang around. Well, mm-hmm. I never truly understood that. I've been hearing that since I was 18, 19 years old. Right. Mm-hmm. But what does it really mean? And, and where do you find them? Like I joined, you know, local BNI groups and this and that, which nothing wrong with that. But it's not the group of people that were going to propel me in the industry that I wanted to be propelled in, right? These are business people, only one from each thing go in there and uh, each company. Masterminds, it's a bunch of wholesalers, if you join the right one, or rehabbers who figured it out and they're all working to help you figure it out. Yeah. And they have this abundance mindset. And that's the thing with masterminds. You know, you can go out there and pay X, Y, and Z mm-hmm. for for help and this and that and, and spend all this money just floating around buying a little piece of this and a little piece of that. And all of a sudden you got all these products on your shelf. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. And some people can learn from that and take action. Mm-hmm. For me, you basically got to hit me over the head with a hammer, <laughs> say, dude, this works. Right. So the mastermind for me is great. So there's different levels, I think, of learning. There's some guy like you. I mean, you're the guy, I'll tell you one thing, and you're doing it tomorrow. You're like this, and you make it work. And a lot of things do work. I just am very cautious. So I've got to prove it without a shadow of a doubt that I have uh, exit strategy X, Y, and Z in place, or I ain't doing it. Right. Well, we talked about this offline. Like You and I have very similar Colby's Mm -hmm. uh, Colby uh, results. It's just I'm a little higher on the action taking, and you're a little higher on the fact finding. Yeah, but we're very close on everything else. Just a little different. So uh, for everyone to understand, we talked about, you know, the 35K surprise. How many deals are you doing a month right now in, in Vegas? Uh, with the 35K, you know, it ranges five to 10 deals in mm-hmm. Vegas yeah. um, any given month. Um, and then 35K is an average. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, sometimes we'll get a 10 or a 15 that throws us out a lot of whack, you know. Yeah. Um, but generally speaking, yeah, this, this last month we did 50 on one, 49 on another. I just put another one on our contract. We'll be, probably do 60 to 70 on. Yeah, and it's crazy because um, this is Vegas, which is just like our market. Mm-hmm. So it's nuts that you're getting these kind of crazy spreads. Yeah. Uh, so what well, I understand, your... I have access to the MLS for one. Right. Which allows me to dial in and really understand, which a lot of folks do have access to good value, but I'm really good at looking at value. Mm-hmm. And I'm really good at, I, I mean, I, every little idiosyncrasy, like I make it work. Like the other thing too is, uh, this is something I really wanted to talk about is better buyers. Mm-hmm. First of all, in wholesaling, 
it, you've got to have the better buyer. And the better buyer for you might be the rent and hold buyer. Mm-hmm. It might be this buyer. It might be that buyer. If you had this huge list of investors, if you send them out all your properties, some of those people will stop looking at your stuff. Mm-hmm. Don't you? Because you're like, I'm not going to get this deal. This guy's going to give it to somebody else. It's yeah. a waste of my time. you got to build, again, that relationship to where maybe you'll walk away from five or ten, but you're not going to burn all five or ten thousand, but you're not going to burn all your buyers. Mm-hmm. So you need that relationship. Like I still send stuff out. And here's the thing. People want to automate everything and they want all this time freedom. The way I, uh, my friend and I, we have this conversation all the time. Dude, you cannot completely walk away from everything. Mm-hmm. Somebody's always got to be spinning the plate. Mm-hmm. And the plate spinner, it got to know what he's doing. Right. right. So I'll step in and I'll spin the plate. Right? Like if she sends it out and this one guy, buyer, who we've been selling a lot of our stuff to, if he's got to talk to me just to say X, Y, and Z and tell me that he's unhappy about the money he's going to give me, that's okay. Mm-hmm. but I better pick up the phone when he calls. Otherwise, right. he's going to go make the deal. Mm-hmm. So it's about the relationship. So that's another thing is that you need better buyers and you need better relationships with the buyers. And the other thing is, is when you're in rehabbing, for instance, uh, the reasons why I got 45 plus spreads on those two is because I had the buyer in mind. I'd walk through I do my own walkthroughs, which is one reason why I really don't like the rehabbing business as well as I like the wholesaling business mm-hmm. is because it's a bottleneck. And my business, I constantly, consistently ask myself, how can I not be here? Because really where I want to be, not necessarily on the beach, but it's really pretty there. Mm-hmm. I want to be wherever my family is. Yeah. And my family isn't at work. And my family isn't out in the field. And so if I can take a call for 30 minutes, I, I was in New York for a couple weeks People wonder how I can go here and be there and do all this. Mm-hmm. I was actually closing a deal at um, Sephora in New York while my wife was looking at makeup with our little one. And I closed, I think it was a, it was like a $60,000 deal on the phone. Mm-hmm. I was in Hawaii one time getting ready to do a, a TV appearance 30 minutes before. I took a phone call, closed the deal, and that one was like a $60,000 profit. Mm-hmm. But you've got to be willing sometimes to do stuff that makes you a little bit is out of your comfort zone. But, but I'm, I'm willing to spin the plate when I need to spin, uh, spin the plate. Like I gave everything over to my inside sales girl to close. Multiple months, she didn't need me. Market shifted and changed a little bit. Okay, wait a minute. What's going on? Mm-hmm. I needed to get back in like Sam Walton of, of uh, Walmart. Mm-hmm. He would used to fly a plane around. Uh, and hover over the busy supermarket or uh, um, stores, you know, department stores and stuff, and or even re- I think even regular um, grocery store. And he'd land his plane, he'd go in and see what they're doing, and he would go to the ones that were the busiest, and then he'd go back to his Walmart. He'd get there and he'd be the cash register, mm-hmm. figuring out what is going to make it work. Yeah. So if you're not in your business, and I'm not saying like. I told you before, I probably spent, if, if I wanted to, now I don't because my mind's always running and I'm always working on this mm-hmm. project and that project outside of my main business. But let's just say I was a normal person, <laughs> which I don't know if you can be as an entrepreneur because right. you just can't shut it off, right? Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I really only have to spend five to 10 hours in my business a week. Mm-hmm. And that's usually taking phone calls or pushing this button on the marketing. Right. to make it work. So it's all about lifestyle for me. It's not about the number of deals. It's about the net mm-hmm. because I never want to lose money. I want to make money, but it's also about 
uh, giving the people what they want. And I draw a line in the sand on what I want to make. And I always buy on worst case scenario and buy on best case scenarios. A lot of times, and I've had this conversation a lot too, is that a lot of people will, they will, they will say what they'll take. It's not proper negotiating to say, well, will you take 200? I'm always like, well, what's the least you'll take? Mm-hmm. Or, you know what? I've been looking at this one and it's real tight. And I want to I want to make this happen for you because I know what you're going through right now. And I want it to be smooth and leave everything in the property you don't want. You know, all the normal stuff. Yep. And I know you don't have a whole lot of cash to work with right now. And you have to soften stuff, too, by the way. Mm. Um, you know, so I'm not saying I'm going to go in and gut the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, my friend did that one time. I'm like, I got all over him for that. I said, this is their home for 30 years. My God. Yeah. Don't say you're going to gut the place. Say, mm-hmm. go in, I'm going to remodel it. I'm going to make it look fabulous. And I can't wait to show you what it looks like after we're all done. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's that personal approach. But um, I, f- I forgot where I started on that one. I went rambling. But um, you've got to, you've just got to be willing to, again, listen to the person that you're talking to on the yeah. other side. And well, put we were them talking first. about... Um well, let's go to the next part just yeah. real quick. What does your organization look like today? Um, well, you know, basically I haven't – this is one thing also I wanted to share with you is that uh, systems, you, all of us – I, I think most people try to get the people who are working in their business to do systems. Have we ever had any success with that? Not that I can recall. Okay, so – wouldn't it be to hire someone, whether it's outsourced or whether it's a full-time employee, which is what I did, mm-hmm. because things are always changing? I hired a systems and development person who's actually 26 years in the military, retired now. Who That's his Colby. That's what he does. He systematizes. Mm-hmm. He runs troops of, what do you say, 120,000? It's something ridiculous. What's this uh, Colby? Um, it's, it's mine, but it's a systematizer before. A okay. fact finder. Okay. So they're systematized fact finder, and then, and then the rest okay. is like us. So anyway, I hired him, um, and he took and he interviewed and he got all the, all the systems put into a systems manual. Mm-hmm. So and that will really change how your business operates. Yeah. But I think you really have to have that one dedicated person who likes to do that, working with your people to do that. And now my business is. I would say almost 100%, and I'll, I don't say 100% because it's always a moving target with this stuff, mm-hmm. and they're, they're a person you should employ for, it's like your bookkeeper and your accountant, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but he's consistently working on systems and helping me design. He also designs my information products uh, and, and that because he loves doing it. Um, so I think that's a big, that's, that's where my business is really, is it systematized? It's optimized. Um, it's automated. We've got the people we, n- we need. I'm always trying to scale back on what we don't need and cut costs because I always want to be spending more on marketing than I am on overhead. So going back to the overhead, mm-hmm. so you got your systems guy. Mm-hmm. Any cold callers? I have one cold caller uh, and one person who answers warm calls, the calls coming in, the inbound, mm-hmm. and one doing outbound. And we are going to engage, I believe, with uh, call geeks. Mm-hmm. I kind of like what they got going on over there, but it's a test. Yeah. So I have to be willing to write to check and say, okay, I'm not going to get anything back, mm-hmm. um, which is okay. Um, we're having so, we've had so much success with everything else. I take, I take new movements slow because... There's no reason to flush money you don't need to flush, especially mm-hmm. when your business is running 
uh, how it needs to run. Uh, and, and so, um, yeah, to answer your question, we do, and we have had, and we've done just about every marketing known to man. Uh, and then I've pulled back and I've implemented again. So there's ebbs and flows in the business. And like we talked about with, um, with TV, you've got the, um, the political windows where mm-hmm. nobody can really run unless you're running big dollars. And mm-hmm. then they carve out a spot for you um, because you have a certain relationship. Well, what we were talking about was you had basically a goose egg one month because no one was listening on the radio. Mm-hmm. No one was watching TV and no one was checking their mail because they were tired of all the political crap. It, and it was, yeah, it was at the end of the political window right before the election. And there was so much political unrest going on that, yeah, <laughs> nobody's watching. No one's watching. No one's listening. Right. And, and they're, a, well, they're tired of watching and listening, too. Right. And so they just block it all out. So that is, um, you might as well just pull it all off the air at that point. Yeah. Uh, I did not. <laughs> um, we still got some t- deals a- after that that people call, but it was it was terrible. I did do a goose egg. Yeah. Yeah. So, so got to so be prepared for that. You talked about the buyer list earlier. Right. So if someone wants to build a buyer list, like how should they build a buyer list? You're talking like, you know, building a better buyer list to to maximize your fee. Right. Uh, Yeah. To build a better buyer's list is you really want to like, for instance, we just pulled the list in Oklahoma and we Mm -hmm. found out that most people, which is obvious kind of. But it, it shows again when you buy the buyer's list in that market that most people are rent and hold. It's more of a turnkey rental market. So it depends on the market you're in, but you want to find the the buyers. Who's buying? So it's that whole thing that you got to find out what they want and you got to give it to them. Mm-hmm. And if you can give them what they want and it makes you money, then cool. But mm-hmm. you got to go find what they want. So who, like in Las Vegas, most of the guys are rehabbers. Mm-hmm. They're not turnkey. Why? Because you can't really make a good return on properties there because the rent doesn't necessarily match the mortgage or isn't higher. So you don't get a good cash on cash return or a return on your investment. So, but there still is opportunities for that. I'm not saying there's not, there's some people buy it for appreciation. So there's still those buyers in the market, which is fine. So that's one thing to learn is, is that there's all these different buying models out there. Just because you have yours doesn't mean somebody else doesn't have another one. Mm -hmm. Like this came, this came up, dramatically for me when I started looking at wholesaling, I couldn't get over the fact of, well, how can they buy it if I can't, how am I going to make money if it doesn't fit my model? Mm-hmm. Well, wait a minute. There's a, there's a buyer out there who has all of his own money. He doesn't buy with loans at all. And he has a contractor or he's his own contractor who will buy a property and his profit is my expense. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah. So I might be paying for hard money. I might be paying for uh, the extra for the contractor. He's going in there putting sweat equity in, or he's got a partner. And now that whole 20, 30,000 that I would have made on my spread, uh, it, it, it's still there. Mm-hmm. I can still make pocket. it because they're making money on something else on the deal. So they can pay more for it. Mm. So, um, so that's important to understand. So buying the, uh, finding the buyer's list, which I have a little small training that you may would, may talk about later, but it'll actually show you how to go into list source mm-hmm. and actually pull the uh, buyers off of uh, list source that are absentee or corporate buyers mm-hmm. and find the hottest zip codes in that area based on what area you want to work. Mm-hmm. And then once you pull that, you can also see what properties they're buying 
then you can go and do your search for sellers with those property characteristics in those areas. And then basically now you got the shopping list, you go find the properties. But the other step too is calling these buyers once you find who they are by doing the search on list source mm -hmm. for these absentee equity buyers, uh, investor buyers, because uh, that's who you're going to find are the rent and hold buyers. Then you call them. You have a conversation or you have somebody high level on your staff call them. But these are high level calls. So really, that's when you got to spin the, spin the plate again. You we should call them. Up. Yeah, and figure out what their buying criteria is. And if you find out what it is, then you're more confident to say, yeah, we can buy the house for 200000 because you're basing on this guy's model. Then you bring it to him. Boom. You got a deal. Now, if you don't think you can buy it because it's not your model or you don't have somebody's model to buy from, you're more apprehensive mm -hmm. to put that thing under contract. You're less confident buyer. Yeah. Reality, we're all, a lot of people are really honest and true and good, mm -hmm. and you don't want to do something that you're going to ruin somebody else's life doing. Like, I don't want to put somebody under contract and then pull out when they got everything loaded up in the U-Haul. Right. That's not the way to go. That's a travesty. It's happening a lot, unfortunately, in our industry right now. Well, you got to vet your buyers, make sure they can close and and make sure you understand their buying criteria and then you can go shopping and then bring those deals to your buyers so it's more about the buyers so um since we're talking about marketing a lot mm -hmm. what is your monthly marketing budget you know it ranges um it goes for anywhere i've had it anywhere from 30 to seven uh, seventy thousand mm -hmm. um i'm sure there was a hundred thousand dollars in there somewhere <laughs> uh, you know i'll spend anywhere from five to ten I've even spent $15,000 for mm. a deal. Um, but it just ranges when you're testing. Sometimes it's out of control like that. But when you have these big spreads, mm -hmm. um, then it's it's okay. That's the monetary competitive advantage. It's when you lose that advantage that it's troublesome. Like Vegas right now, you have all these national buyers coming in. They're buying stupid. Like Zillow, mm -hmm. make an offer, right? They lost, I think it was $27 million last year, mm. and they want to go lose some more. Right. And because they're buying the market and doing what they do, they have a different model for what they do. You know, I always say you can't compete with stupid. So I'm not, you know, my big selling is I don't know if that's going to close because I don't know how they're going to buy it. Mm -hmm. So do you want to sell with a guaranteed buyer or do you want to sell with somebody we're not really too sure about who just lost $27 million? You don't know when they're going to pull the rug out from underneath their feet. Do you want your U-Haul loaded up in the front driveway? And, and, and then they call and say either reduce or we're canceling. We don't want that. Right. So I, I put that seed of doubt there anyway, but a lot of times find it very difficult to, to, um, to compete with the national buyers in Vegas. Mm -hmm. But I, I still do, and I still get right. deals. But it, it does make it a little bit more challenging. So then the last question, because we were talking about work-life balance. So how do you keep a work-life balance, like you know, doing these number of deals with everything you got going on between wholesaling, flipping? What? How are you... How do I do that? Yeah. Um, well, it's just the self-managing company, which Dan Sullivan talks mm -hmm. about, which, um, you know, I, I think you have to be willing to let your employees fail for you to succeed. Mm -hmm. A lot of times entrepreneurs are in there doing it and mucking things up like a bull in a china shop. Uh, I do a lot of drive-by meetings. It screws everybody up. Um, and so you're really your own worst enemy. Mm -hmm. So you got to just step back and let people do it. I got an email the other day that was talking about simple thing like inspections. And I was like, oh, yeah, I was getting ready to say, oh, do, do it. And I'm like, no, 
that's her job. I step in, they're going to start emailing me. Mm-hmm. You really got to step back and let your employees and your people do what they do and let them fail. Because a lot of times they don't want to fail. But if you say, hey, your failure is my success. I'm willing to let you fail so I succeed. Do not be worried about failing. Now, if you do it over and over again, that might be a different story. But right. you got to learn from your experiences. Yeah. First failure is okay. Second failure is like, hey, what's going on? Third failure is like, hey. This you do working. this again, <laughs> you know, and, but, and, and we, and then the culture too, like one of the things that I did, uh, Joe Polish's genius network, mm-hmm. uh, 25 K mastermind of a lot of high level entrepreneurs. Um, one of the things that he had, he has a guy in there who talks about culture and he's done a really good job of doing culture with his staff and everybody. One of the things he had was three monkeys, uh, a little statue of a monkey mm. as sitting in the corner. And it was it was actually a lawn statue, but it was like almost a bronze-looking thing, really cool. I actually found that exact statue. And then I found three little monkeys to sit on all my employees' desks. And they mm. were all, one was, you know, speak no evil, hear no evil, see no evil. And I put that, I kid you not, I put that on my employees' desks. And I think it transformed, really, the way they thought about things. And it kept them uplifted and in the positive. And so you've got to do things like that. How? What's that? Why did those monkeys do that? Well, because, I mean, it reminds you, I shouldn't be talking, you know, mm. BS here, you know, yeah. and bringing everybody else down. Mm-hmm. And if somebody else is bringing me down, then I'm just going to close my eyes and my ears. Mm-hmm. So it just reminds them that the water so cooler talk, yeah, the water cooler talk is not really tolerable. Mm-hmm. So when you build in a culture of you being there without you being there, that's what's really helpful and useful because you are the heart and soul of your business and they need you. Mm-hmm. And you're only able not to be there if you actually build culture for them and they understand what that heart and soul is of the company. So having good people support you, but then supporting them is really important. And so my staff is my team, just like a quarterback. He can't win the Super Bowl without his his other his other players. Right. So you've got to be willing to play. You've got to be willing to step back, and you've got to be willing to get somebody to systematize, or you've got to systematize, which may or may not happen like me because I can't sit my butt down long enough to do that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I can pull the trigger and delegate and ask questions and get on the phone and talk with him till his ears bleed because that's just that's just how I am, right? Right. So um, so getting getting out what's inside of you and how you run your business and somebody who can put that into a, a format that people can fall, follow and putting that into some sort of um, system like Kajabi. They use it for information marketing, but mm-hmm. you can use it to run your business or any sort of portal or even Dropbox so that somebody, I mean, like we don't all the time help people or we don't all the time move furniture from this place to that place. We have a few places we stage still with rehabs, but um uh, she has a document, an SOP for moving furniture. And so, and we don't do it all the time. So she forgets. So she mm-hmm. said, I pulled up that SOP again today. Mm-hmm. And guess what? She never called me. Right. She was able to do it. You know, so that's, I can tell you that systematization and those SO standard operating procedures for your business are muy importante, right? Mm-hmm. Hopefully I said that with the right accent, but yeah. very important. Um, because you can only walk back from your business when it's truly systematized and everybody knows where the ship's going and how they're going to get there. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that, then it, you're always going to get yanked back. If you don't, And if you don't have a runner uh, or someone who can do that type of work for you, guess who the runner is? You are. You are. Yeah. So, and that's the whole thing with unique ability, which is, I think, 
uh, something we may talk about today, but what, oh, no, we're, 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 we're there. We're wrapping up. Yeah. Oh, we're wrapping up. So unique ability, you, you need to do what you're good at mm-hmm. and leave the rest for the best. Right. Right. For what for, they're good at. Yeah. Otherwise you're just not, you're going to be hating life and I'm good at getting in there. And, and actually I should say the other culture thing is the superpower thing. Mm-hmm. Um, was strategic coach. Um, everybody's, we're actually developing a, a, a picture that everybody keeps on their wall and everybody chooses their own superhero. Mm-hmm. And then their heads are on the superheroes and the bobblehead dolls and all that. Oh, really? And then they have superpowers, uh, you know, and that reminds them, hey, I have my own superpower. There's a reminder that they have a superpower. Mm. So That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so you've got a podcast coming up soon. Yeah, the flipping boss that will be um, going active here in twenty-four to seventy-two hours, depending on the approval from uh, uh, from iTunes. It'll also be on our website, the Flipping mm-hmm. Boss. Um, we've got several episodes already recorded, so those will be launching there. Um, one of them is about lifestyle, and we're yeah. going to be doing that with. Uh, actually, that's one we're we're completing right now with my systems guy. What better guy to do that mm-hmm. uh, to create the lifestyle than my systems guy? So we're going to have a really good conversation there. So um, excited for the podcast. Have some great people on there. I want to have you on there too. I'd be honored. Yeah. And the thing is, you won't have to fly to Phoenix to do it. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's funny. Like I have this weird thing where you have to fly in. Well, this is awesome. Yeah, but people awesome. are flying in, right? You you manifest it. Like this is yeah. This is what I want, and now we have people flying in from all over the country. You it's know, it's crazy. It's uh, that's awesome. And I flew here, and yeah. I hate flying. <laughs> Right. And the last thing I want to do is be away from my family. And yeah. I, I'm I wouldn't say I'm scared to fly, but I, I'm, I'm hesitant to feel comfortable in an airplane. Yeah. Um, so uh, but again, it's all about lifestyle. I would rather be up in my second home, mm-hmm. not uh, in Coeur d'Alene for the summer rather than being in a studio in Las Vegas when it's got awful hot. That's why <laughs> I bought the second home, by the way, because right. I can't stand the temperature in Las Vegas. Oh, it's just like here. It's perfect. Yeah. So, uh, so how could someone get a hold of you? Um, the best way is through the flippingboss.com there. And mm-hmm. like I said, I've got a, uh, it'll, I don't know how long it'll be up for, but I have that how to find better buyers mm-hmm. where it walks folks step by step um, through the process of doing the search on list source, uh, even how to work with that list a little bit. So it's a, it's a really good training on how to really, even if, if you want to go virtual or if you want, you're just starting out. How to find those better buyers, mm-hmm. and so um, that's pretty much the best way is through the website. There, it'll have the podcast on there and everything else that anybody could ever want to be able to get in contact with me. Okay, with. perfect. Yeah. Uh, so, guys, um, next week we have Joshua Jennings flying in from South Carolina. He's gonna be talking about how he did 137,000, I think, on on just one deal. Um, and again, in the Phoenix market, guys, if you guys need help getting ARV, trying to figure out what to offer homeowners or you need help closing the deals in the living room, please reach out to me. We'll be happy to help you with that. And if you want a copy of our assignment contract, go to realestatedisruptors.com and opt in, and my assistant will send you a copy of our assignment contract. And again, if you guys did like this show, please share this episode right now because a rising tide does lift all boats. Thank you guys for tuning in, and thank you. This was incredible. Thank you. Appreciate it. Nice to be here.